Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Coming up, we're going to discuss our experience at D23's Attraction Rewind event last week. Plus, we discuss your comments and Facebooks, as well as our thoughts on D23 in general as the official Disney fan club. All that coming up next. From the Bob Varley Studio in Orlando, Florida, this is the Diz Unplugged. This is the Diz Unplugged, episode 759 for the week of December 2nd, 2014. The Diz Unplugged is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at www.dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hello, folks, and welcome to the show. Coming to you, not exactly live, from the Bob Varley studio in Orlando, Florida. I'm your host, Pete Werner, joined at the table this week by my good friends, John Magi, Kevin Close, Jenny Lynn Knopp, associate producer, Craig Williams, and back by his lonesome in the production nook, our producer, Dustin West. And uh, just reminding everybody, the reason we're not coming out live right now is that as you're watching this, our entire team is on the Disney Magic for Podcast Cruise 5.0. And uh, we are going to be doing a show uh, on that sh- on the ship, and uh, that will be going up with our December 9th show next week. So we are actually recording this right after we did our live show last week, which was last hour for us right now. We're in the future. We're in the future. And uh, so we'll ask you to bear with us for this little disruption in the normal schedule. Just so did we have a good time on the cruise? We had a great Incredible time. time. Our best, best cruise, cruise ever. ever. Actually, I'm we're, a tan. we're currently having a wonderful time <laughs> on the cruise. Right. We're, yeah. We're oh, currently. I keep track. <laughs> Wasn't Jody's performance incredible? She was wonderful. Very, very excited for Jody Benson. I have something kind of fun to tell you. She remembers the last time she performed for us, and she has said that she's going to do some very different stuff. And I'm not going to give away what she's going to do. She's going to do an entire set of Green Day. <laughs> you were faster than I was. I was trying to come up with something. I'm very excited. Very, very excited for, for Jody Benson. So is Mom. Mom's excited to see her again. Mother fell in love with her. She was so great to my mother on the last cruise. Oh, my God. It was so cool. Um, so very, very, we're obviously very excited about that. And, of course, it's for us right now, it's the day before Thanksgiving. So hope everybody had a great, great Thanksgiving. This sounds like a math wonderful. problem. Eventually, you're going to ask me who has the most oranges or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a couple of things in uh, housekeeping, which I know we're put into my script. Uh, the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged goes up every Thursday. You can listen to them uh, stream. You can stream them on DizUnplugged.com or, of course, subscribe to them on iTunes. Just search for Diz Unplugged Disneyland edition. Uh, for this week's show, uh, Nancy Johnson takes an in-depth look at holiday shopping at the Disneyland Resort. And Michael Bowling has the second part of his chat with author and historian David Lesjack about the Walt Disney Studios and their involvement in World War II. I can't wait to listen to that. That Have fascinates you seen the book? Me. I, I've seen the original artwork. Yeah. So some of it's I haven't seen the book. No, is it good? I haven't bought it yet. I'm uh, waiting to use my sister's holiday discount to uh, pick it up over there. But the book looks amazing. Just from is looking it available at the front here back. in the Walt Disney World yet? Yep. I saw it over at uh, World of Disney. So. Perfect. Bless you. Bless Thank you. you. So that's coming up. Um, I don't think we really have, I, I don't know what the housekeeping for next week is going to be. So. You can still book the August trip to Backstage Magic and San Francisco. Kevin at Dreams Unlimited Travel. I'm done. <laughs> I wish I had a mic. The Caribbean is beautiful right now. It's just wonderful. That's the Western <laughs> Caribbean, so it's not as pretty as the Eastern <laughs> But, I like uh, the Western Caribbean. Uh, I don't. I don't. Give me uh, St. Martin, St. Thomas any day over Mexico. We'll change your birthday. I wanted an Eastern Caribbean cruise. <laughs> Should have made them change the itinerary. You don't ever get anything that you want. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm so put upon. Um, so, yeah, we're going to have a discussion um, about D23. We're going to talk about the... Uh, Destination D Attraction Rewind event that we attended uh, last week. And we're also going to talk about D23 as a club, quote unquote, the official fan club 
of uh, for Disney fans is how they build themselves, which I've always kind of taken an <laughs> exception to, which is was arrogant. But then so was the idiot that was running it from the beginning. Um, can't remember his name. Let me look it up. Uh, Apparently he was very memorable. Well, he... Uh, uh, Stephen Clark. Stephen Clark was the guy that <clears throat> launched it in 2009 and not particularly well-liked. Um, a lot of complaints uh, with the way it was launched. I was certainly one of those people. I have not been a fan of D23, uh, to be honest. Um, I thought the way it was launched was awful. I thought it was really arrogant. Um, and also not a great value because, you know, D23 basically has a philosophy that Disney fans only live in Southern California. And so pretty much everything that goes on that relates to D23 happens in Southern California. And if you live in Southern California, I think Disney uh, D23 is a great deal. If you live anywhere else, it's a little bit uh, more dicey. And that's why we wanted to have a larger discussion. This event, uh, the Destination D Attraction Rewind event that took place last week, was my first D23 event. I actually rejoined D23 specifically to attend it because I wanted to kind of take it with, go into it with some fresh eyes and an open mind and see what I thought. See what I thought now, you know, it was March of 2009 when it launched, so it's been more than five years. Haven't really given D23 a second look since then. So I wanted to go into this, you know, five years later and see what I thought. However, on the the ramp up to D23, weren't you (laughs) excited about it? I, we were so excited. Oh, that yeah, this we was both g- joined. Yeah. And we were going to get that magazine every once in a while, and they were going to send you gifts. Well, then the magazine stopped coming, or it came without the gifts, or you got the gifts. And Well, I just want to uh, give an overview of what the membership levels are and how much they cost and what you get with them, so then we can kind of, kind of go from there. There are two memberships. There's a general membership, which is free, um, which gets you exclusive merchandise, uh, Exclusive member content on D23.com, a subscription to the bi-weekly D23 Fanfare e-newsletter, and special promotional offers and discounts throughout the year. Um, The D23 Gold membership is uh, $79.99 a year, and that includes the uh, Disney 23 quarterly publication. It's a very big, very well-produced Magazine, very glossy, kind of glitzy uh, magazine, almost coffee table. It's coffee yeah. table worthy. Yeah. It, it is. Um, you get a membership card and certificate. Uh, our 2014 annual membership gift, the Disney Faniversary 23 month calendar. Uh, special member events um, are included with that. So that's kind of the difference between the free version and the $80 a year version. And uh, you know, for a lot of people, it comes down to the events that <clears throat> make it worthwhile or not. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a tickle in the back of my throat. Let me just take a. Well, somebody else talk for a second. They also had a uh, silver membership that you could do before. It was uh, $40 to sign up. Um, literally just got an email last week that they have eliminated that <laughs> one, I guess, because a lot of people just figured, why not go with the extra 40 and you get the magazine? Well, I, with this one, you just got the events. Actually, what I was hearing, I heard, talked to a couple of people at the Attraction Rewind event. Mm-hmm. The rumor is they're doing away with the free membership. Okay. <clears throat> that they, they want everybody to pay, which I don't know how smart that is, but... I um, get it from one perspective, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um <clears throat> So the idea behind D23 was that this was to be the official Disney fan club. And, you know, one of my uh, first complaints, and it's still a complaint that I have, was that they did not look to reach out to or include the existing Disney fan community that's out there right now. Our website, other websites like ours, um, were basically, uh, basically very almost derided. In some of the comments that were being made by Stephen Clark, who was who was the head, he <clears throat> he stepped down in September, and I believe uh, it's Adam uh, Sanderson is now the the head of of D twenty three. So that was <clears throat> part of the rub for me was that there's been a lot of us out here doing uh, 
communicating with, reaching out to Disney fans, organizing Disney fans, being part of the fan community. And <clears throat> they, the, 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 the attitude was, you guys are, are, are peons. Um, you're right. not important. Um, I think had they reached out to and worked with the Disney fan community prior to launching this, they probably would have had a much more successful launch if they'd gotten us on board. Um, as it was, a lot, of, a lot of people just were not big fans of this. And they have struggled with their membership. That was the other thing I was hearing this weekend, is that the numbers are not what they, they need them to be. And I think that's one of the reasons Stephen Clark is out and somebody else is in, because apparently it wasn't being run well. Well, it is really expensive, too. I mean, I was a, I was a charter, year, uh, charter Year member. Uh, I bought the first magazine whenever they still sold them in Barnes & Noble, which now they don't do that anymore. But I bought it, decided I liked it, and for I could just get the subscription for a whole year for an extra $15 on what I would pay to get them in store. So I just did that. I knew I wouldn't ever go to any of the events or get the special merchandise they had online. It was just more convenient for me. But, I mean, at that point, I was 20, 21. I didn't have enough money to pay another $80 for the next year to to renew it. So I dropped out until now whenever I was stable. But, I mean, it's still a lot of money for essentially a magazine every every three months. Well, I signed up. John and I both signed up for it. Yes, so did I. I was and a charter member I got well. two of the four magazines. Oh, really? I never got another one. So I thought... A lot of complaints about that magazine's not being delivered. And the whole thing was, when I first signed up, they sent me a thing. You could buy polo shirts and pens. And what was the... $1,000 pen or something. $1,000 yeah. pen. And you thought to yourself... Uh, you know, the word stupid's not written on my forehead. I mean, I'm paying $80 to be able to buy polo shirts. Yeah. So to me, it just seemed like a big ripoff at first, and I'm going to be honest with you. The bitter taste, just, I, I forgot about it. I, I mean, every once in a while, I would hear that there was an expo out in California, but it didn't really well, affect that's become, me. Well, that's become part of what D23 does. I believe it's every two years. Yep. Uh, an expo, the D23 Expo, is done out in California. Very, very big event. You were there for it last year along with Tom Bell and Michael Bowling. Yeah, I was there as well. Oh, you out there covering it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's right. Um, I told somebody that's like they get the Summer Olympics and we get the Winter Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, they, they do that. Then they also do these Destination D events. I believe these are every year, aren't they? Um, it's on the... No, I think it's just on the off year that um, the the expo isn't. Uh, last time they did a Destination D, they did it in California, too. So they got to double up. Um, but I believe the one before was in Disney World as well. Um, and then they do small pop-up event, events every now and then. Like whenever Epcot had its 30th anniversary, I believe D23 hosted the the panels that they put and that on was that only day. after that was only after they were shamed. Yeah. Uh, by the Disney community for not doing anything for Epcot's 25th, that they threw something together. They also have done these faniversary events. Yep. Yeah, I was just going to say, I have my uh, membership letter right here, and it talks about the things that you get with your membership, and it says, for 2014, there's all-new edition of D23's Disney Faniversary Celebration that it's touring the country, bringing D23 fun to cities across the U.S. D23 members will be invited to attend member mixers at Disney stores in select cities. And then they talk about the special events in Disneyland and Walt Disney World. This is a direct result of the criticism that if you didn't live in California um, or Florida even, that there was nothing in D23 for you. So trying to do some of these more local events uh, is part of their addressing that. But even what they do here in Florida is is nominal. Nominal. Uh, which is why I wanted to attend this attraction. attraction rewind because like I said, you know, I was bitter and angry and jaded and I said like, okay, it's been five years, get over it. Go in with fresh eyes and see, you know, keep your mind keep my mind open. Um, and I gotta tell you something. I gotta tell you something. I don't know that I'm turned around on D twenty three in general, but this event was amazing. It was. This event was amazing. Now, we had four of us there, Dustin and I and Jenny Lynn and, and Craig. Um, I was able to get two top-of-the-world tickets. This is, they do top-of-the-world at all these events. They're $1,000 a person um, for the weekend. You get 
like early access to things and reserved seating. And they do a special event. I did a special event on Friday night that Craig and I attended. Um, and then the general admission was 190 I believe it was, $190 a person. Um, for uh, One of the things they do with these events, which is a big hit with the fans and with me, is they do the uh, Mickey's of Glendale pop-up stores. And you know Chris, the manager that we always deal with when we're out at Mickey's of Glendale? Yep. Fantastic lady. She's the one that does these. And she was there. We were chatting and chatting with each other. And people were asking me, because we were running into a lot of folks, a lot of listeners, viewers. And people were asking me, so how does this compare to the real Mickey's of Glendale? And I said, you know what? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Nice selection of stuff. They had a big selection of stuff from Walt Disney Imagineering, the stuff you would see going into Mickey's of Glendale at Imagineering that we've seen. But they also had stuff that was exclusive and specific to this event. And that's the stuff I was interested in because I'm going to be out at Mickey's of Glendale in a few weeks. So, and plus I've been to Mickey's of Glendale like eight times now and I have closets full of Walt Disney Imagineering stuff. So, I really wanted the, the exclusive stuff and there was some great stuff. Lots of pins, some of these pins are going for three and four hundred dollars on uh, on eBay right now. Now, whether or not they're going to sell at that price, I don't know, but they're being listed like that. So, some real exclusive stuff in there, and you know, um, my 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 what I said to everybody was shop first, ask questions later, <laughs> grab it, worry about what you're going to do with it after because. Uh, for Top of the World, you got in two hours before everybody else, so we had first pick of everything, which was a nice perk, especially with limited edition pins. And like they had these great Adventures Club messenger bags. Yes, I like um, the messenger bags. That you know were gone, I think, pretty much after the Top of the World folks got them. They had very few of them. So that's did you get part- one? I did. I did. Uh, actually, it's one of the things I will be auctioning off uh, on the cruise for Give Kids the World. Um, that and a lot of this exclusive stuff that I picked up, I got extra. Well, you're not the only one that feels that way because the lines to get into the store were very long at times. Yeah. Like unbearably long. Yeah, exactly. So that was one of the perks. Like I said, they had a room set up for Top of the World folks with coffee and Danish and snacks and things like that. You could go and wait when it was time. They would come and get you and bring you in ahead of everybody else into the the main room and you could get your you know have first pick of your seats in the reserved area the reserved area was all up in front so that was very nice then friday night they did <clears throat> a special event for top of the world folks that was um a, a a private ride on carousel of progress with tony baxter and marty sklar and what was really cool about that was you know both of them got up and talked a little bit about the ride this was the day that was focused on the 64 World's Fair. Everything that was done at the conference that day was all about the 64 World's Fair, and it was absolutely fascinating. Amazing, amazing presentations that were done. So they're talking about Carousel of Progress and the 64 World's Fair and their involvement with Carousel of Progress and some things to look at that you may not have noticed. And then we do the ride, and then once it's done, they moved the ride to what was it the scene the 50s scene the 40s it was, scene it was the uh, <clears throat> 1900s scene they wanted to just leave it no it wasn't the 1900s it was they moved it, was. it we only moved it once one uh one segment <sighs> i got to look at my pictures i thought i don't think so i think it was the 40s i'm almost positive and i think they moved it more than one um, hold, uh, no, I'm going to look at my the pictures. The 40s here. is the one where it's got that booth, you know, and the... And they got the fancy wa- uh, washing machine. Yeah, the right. 40s is the third scene. We didn't move that far around. That's my favorite scene. It's my favorite one, too. Is he holding a fan in the photo? No, that's the... No. That might be the right. second scene. It might scene. be the first one. Jeez, how um, do we have one? No, I like the, uh, the 40s scene because my mom always points out every time we do it that the refrigerator in that scene is the one that she actually had 
whenever she was growing up. So in the I love it because um, reminder. My grandparents used to watch me a lot when I was young. They lived in Miami Springs, and we would go to visit their neighbors, and their neighbor's kitchen pretty you're right. much looked like no, that you're exactly. Right. You're right. It's the 1900s. Um, why did I think it was? Uh, I don't know. Anyway, they moved this to that scene and then stopped it and allowed all of us to get up and take pictures with Marty and Tony Baxter with that as the backdrop. So you're going to say and take souvenirs. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm jealous. Um, so that That's was cool. That was very, very, very cool. And then they had a boat for us to take us over to Fort Wilderness. We went to the area where Mickey's Backyard Barbecue was held. This and is all the top of the world? This is all top of the world. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they had a great... Uh, well, at first I thought, you know, they, were, they kind of cheaped out on the food because it was chicken and beans and pulled pork. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you know what? For $1,000, you need to up this. Where's some steak? But I got to tell you, the food was delicious. It was excellent. The food was outstanding, um, how good it was. And, of course, you know, there's Tony Baxter over there having dinner, and there's Marty Sklar over there. I think Bob Gurr was hanging around, too, wasn't he? I didn't see him there, but what amazed me was that Tony Baxter was actually just sitting literally in the middle of the table. Yeah. Anyone could sit, Anyone can sit next by to his him. group right next to him. It's, he was just there, and he waited till every single person went through. He stood basically right at the end of the buffet. Yeah. And so everyone got to see him going past, and then once everyone was finished, then he finally was humble enough to go and get himself some some chicken yeah. and beans. <laughs> yeah. How many people do you think were at that event? Say, I, uh, from what I heard, there was a hundred and there, there was uh, fifteen hundred general admission tickets and one hundred and fifty uh, top of the world. Um, I, that was what I heard. Yeah. I didn't do a head count. Yeah. But I would say one hundred and fifty sounds yeah. about right. Um, for for what I saw, and uh, I, you know. Friday was all about the 64 World's Fair. Saturday. Or Saturday. Friday was just Saturday, right. Saturday was all about the 64 World's Fair. And I was blown away. Blown away by this presentation. By these presentations. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about a little bit about what went on that day. Um, Well, they started. It it was all about the World's Fair. You walked in and... the room was set up very nicely. Something that I thought was a little bit interesting, though, in each of the corners of the rooms, they had a poster of a an extinct attraction, attraction that's no longer up and running, and the ride vehicle that you know was a part of the attraction, which was very nice. But they had it all. Um, they had all these like flowers and greenery stuff set up around it, and I couldn't help but feel like it reminded me of a funeral wake. <laughs> it did kind of look like it that. Did. You're right, it, it did. It absolutely did. You know, where you walk in and there's, you know, the funeral wreaths and that type of thing. That's definitely, that was the feel I got from it. So I thought that was um, different, maybe appropriate because they're not in existence anymore, but Do you odd. remember what they were? Um, yeah, I have uh, pictures of them. They were the, yeah. the Skyway. Uh, Snow White's Scary Adventures. Um, Mr. They, Toad. Mr. Toad. And then they there was had also a the small rocket world doll. Yeah. Yes, but. there was a small, which I guess is not extinct. Yeah. But um, they had a big picture of the World's Fair behind that to, you know, kind of emphasize its presence at the World Fair. And then they also had the rocket jet out in the lobby area. And then a giant orange bird. Yeah. Yep, and a giant orange bird. All you know I'm with these big. I have an it's a small world tree in my house, so <laughs> I should tell you something. I should yeah. also note that. The, the things that you just mentioned are pretty much the only things we were allowed to take photos of right. the entire yes. weekend. And then they also, not to get too far off, but then they also did a Treasures of the Archives there. They do that at the expos as well. And then if you ever get to go to the studios, you can see the archives if you're lucky enough, uh, like on the ABD. But then they had, um, uh, in the archives, they had some of the memorabilia, like records from the 64's World's Fair and some of the uh plastic molds that you used to be able to get made uh they had the actual machine there one of the only ones in existence still and they turned it on to show how a mold would get made do you want to know what that's my one other than it's a small world that's my memory of the 64 world's fair as you were waiting to get down the bus they had what looked like a giant jukebox yeah mm-hmm. yep and you put your money in and uh there was the, uh, the the attraction with the dinosaurs at the World's Fair, and you got to make an injection mold dinosaur. Yeah. And I got 
what's the one with all the, the, the spikes down the middle of its back? A stegosaurus. stegosaurus. I got a stegosaurus. And I can, my sense memory is that I can remember that smell and the fact that we got on the bus and that was really warm. That's so cool. And this was in New York City and yeah. I lived in Albany. So on the bus ride back, I remember holding that dinosaur and it stayed warm for a really long time. I that's think that's what why I remember. they, I don't think you were allowed to purchase um, something from the, they just let you see them and that's because they, of the danger of, Burns, well, right? they, they were really hot <laughs> when they gave it to you. What yeah. they did, we missed it because we had to leave right before the end. But at, after the first day was over, they had put stickers under some of the seats and they made, I think, like five or six of the molds. Wow. Were so they the dinosaurs? One, they, were, they were Mickey, they were Mickey ones. Oh, okay. um, I got a dinosaur. But whoever had the sticker under their seat could um, actually get one of them. So apparently, I mean, the room. They set up more seats than they ever possibly needed. So apparently people were throwing chairs trying to decide <laughs> where these stickers were. But then in that room also they had a uh, they had a figment prop. Uh, they had some World of Motion props. And then uh, one other one, I can't think of what it was. But it was a nice little side exhibit that you could go in and take pictures of. They had too. a couple of nice things. They also had a room where you could go in and uh, – or was that just for the last day with the Communicore? Oh, yeah. And then they also – um, they had these iPads and computers set up where you could use the World Key program from, from Communicore whenever that was first opened. Some guy from Pixar, I can't remember his name, actually, he's so devoted to Communicore that he recreated all of the World Key systems from stuff he found in the archives and then some of the games that you could also play there too. Uh, the games were awful. They were terrible. World Key but it was, fun. was weird, but yeah, it was kind of... Is, what's World Key? It was. It's kind of like a precursor to um, a, a smartphone almost. You would go into Communicore and it had all of Epcot Center on the map and you could get guide information on what oh, the rides were that. and then I'm go sorry. Well, yeah. I thought World Key was where you talked to a cast member and made a dining, dining reservation. reservation that was part of it you though. could yeah that was, that was part, part of it, it as well <clears throat> so it was all this system that was my favorite ride information all I loved, loved that, that. Yeah. yeah so the whole computer program and then a few of the games that you could play there they had it set up so you could go back and experience <laughs> that again in a separate room on iPads and you know bigger monitor screens which was neat but anyway oh, yeah. back to the, the do we day, need to yeah. keep on track <laughs> yeah back to day one uh, the first one was uh, Bill Cotter and he talked yeah. about the 1964 World's Fair not the Disney this is a Disney, historian right yes. yeah um, not the Disney attractions he focused on the the fair as a whole and um, fascinating really it was it, it truly was I mean I wasn't born at that time so I, I it's not like I'm going down memory like <laughs> I'm not going down memory lane or anything but even um you know, without having that personal connection to it, I was fascinated by by oh, yeah. what was being presented. One yeah. of the interesting things I collect stuff from the nineteen sixty worlds nineteen sixty four World's Fair, and the problem is nothing was most of it's ephemera. There's not a lot that's made to last. It, there was nothing high-end about it. It was marketed to the masses, which I think is kind of interesting. But it's think, very hard to find yeah. things in good shape. Well, and but, Bill Cotter, actually, the guy who did the presentation, he collects photos from it, even if they're not his own. I think he said he had 22,000 photos from all around the World's Fair. And, I mean, we got to see them. And, and his he went family through. wasn't in any of them. Yeah. He said. But, <laughs> and they're all, <clears throat> I'm looking at them now, they're all online. Uh, oh, he's wow. created a site specifically. Uh, it's called World's Fair Photos. I'm going to have to dot com, and uh, it's not just a '64 World's Fair, but you can select '64 World's Fair. And I'm looking at uh, his pictures. These are his family pictures uh, from like the International Pavilion. It was. Um, it was the most like all-inclusive uh, look at the World's Fair that I've ever seen. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that much about the World's Fair going into it. I had only heard reference of it, really, and how it related to some of the Disney attractions, but I never really got into the history of it all. Now I'm fascinated. The way this guy presented this stuff, I am I absolutely fascinated, it's and it gave me a whole new appreciation it, of it. It had the same did. effect on me as well. I mean, I just didn't have that much exposure to it before, but now I'm far more interested in it. Well, the only thing I knew about the 64 World's Fair was that my mother was pregnant with me when she went and rode It's a Small World. So It's a Small World has become like a thing for my mom and I. We always try and ride it when we're in the Magic Kingdom. 
for that reason that, you know, I did it in the 64 World's Fair. I was just in utero at the time. So. I loved having the bigger picture, though, of the the um, the companies that were involved outside of Disney and the um, attractions that were there outside of Disney. And in, into even into he got into like the the layout of it and the road system that was built yeah. and how the structures you know, came up and weren't necessarily taken down right away and, and what remains and what doesn't remain and all of it. I was just, it was so fascinating. Yeah. And a big part of that too was learning that, um, Disney wasn't the only thing there, which is what a lot of Disney fans assume by it. But was that, yeah, it's like the Disney 64 World's Fair. Yeah. But in the, they even said that in the top five attractions that were there, most of the time it was the four Disney attractions that were in it. But that wasn't always the case. Sometimes other things did pop in and were more successful. But um, just hearing about a lot of them and getting to know a little bit more, like I think everyone's seen the, the New York Pavilion from the two towers that uh, are in Men in Black and stuff, and I mean that's still over at Universal Studios Florida. And they're still standing. They're still standing. Yeah, yeah and they're still, still standing. standing. So it was cool to like actually get a little more insight about all that. Do stuff. you know what else I found really fascinating is these other elements and how they uh, you can see their influence in Epcot. And yes. I had no idea. Yes, I had no idea. You, uh, Dustin had said that that it gives him yeah. a whole new appreciation for Epcot mm-hmm. after having watched some of those presentations. If you're interested in the World's Fair, this is not about the '64 World's Fair. It's about the Chicago World's Fair in the '30s. There's a book called "The Devil in the White City," and it's all about the building of the Chicago World's Fair. Walt Disney's father was an, um, one of the building workers. He helped build buildings there. It's a murder mystery that takes place during it, so there's some fictionalized account, but the facts part of it is about the war- building of the World's Fair, and it's very much similar to the 1964 World's I, Fair and the way it was built. I also think it was uh, interesting how much money these lost. Oh, yeah. These were huge money losers, um, the, these World's Fairs. That's why they're not really done much anymore. But what's fascinating is what's come out of them, because they picked the best of the best. Kellogg's cornflakes were um, introduced at a World's Fair. They were uh, So were Belgian waffles, yep. apparently. Sliced, buying sliced bread hmm. was introduced. So it's fascinating. And, I mean, like, things that they thought were fascinating uh-huh. during the 30s World's Fair, they brought people from Africa and set up an African village that you could tour as, like, a museum or, like, a... Right. Like an exhibit. And imagine today putting somebody from another country on exhibit in Epcot. And it's like, it just wouldn't be done. Right. So it's fascinating to see what these used to be. Yeah, it was great. Well, after Bill Cotter, um, Marty Sklar, and Bob Gurr discussed Disney's role in uh, in the World's Fair. And let me tell you, I don't know. I had never seen the two of them present before, but they were hysterical. They were great. I mean, just the, the content was awesome, obviously, but the way that they presented it, it was very entertaining. Well, I, was your attention. I was also really amazed at the level of detail Bob Gurr still remembers from that time, like, you know, doing, uh, you know, the Ford Motor Speedway thing and, you know, talking about specific problems they were having with specific technical things on the cars and what he needed to do to fix it. This was 50 years ago. And this man remembers it like it was yesterday. He's got an amazing mind. Not only that, but he still has a sense of humor. That is so... Uh, it's just he was great I just wanted to wrap him up and put him in my pocket I just he was so adorable I love them he was the highlight of the event for me so and then that event looked at all four of them but didn't go into amazing detail because then uh, for the rest of the day well they had a couple other things in there but then for the rest of the day it was spent mostly going over the the four actual pavilions that were there the magic skyway it's a small world um, great moments great with Mr. Great Lincoln. Moments with Mr. Lincoln and Carousel, Carousel of Progress. Progress. So that happened. In between there, there was a, uh, a small little presentation with Station Martin where she talked about the music, which was like just a Cliff Notes version. I mean, it was like 20 minutes long, but she could have talked for two hours. And that was one of the best parts. Just yeah. a, a side note, Station Martin um, is a Disney historian, Disney cast member, and animator uh, with Disney. And for most of our ABD trips, our backstage magic trips, on the last night, the farewell dinner, Station Martin was set up in the back with an easel. And they'd call one family up at a time, and they would, she would say, what character would you like me to draw for you? And you'd give her a character, and she could do pretty much anything. She couldn't draw the castle, and she couldn't draw Walt. Right. 
But outside of that, everything was pretty much fair game. And she would draw these things. And while she was drawing them, would tell you a story about that character or about something or engage you somehow. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. I have rallied. And they have they and they've stopped it. They've stopped it. They took her off the off the tour, so to speak. And I have begged them to bring her back. I hope they do for uh, am I gonna have her in December? Not that I know of. I'm trying. Highly unlikely. She, again, was fantastic as a presenter. Just such a great personality. Held your attention. And, I mean, the content, Brilliant of course, woman. was good. Brilliant. Yeah, you could just, you just really latched on to her. as approachable as you can possibly yes. Absolutely. Imagine. Absolutely. That definitely came across. Um, so, anyway, that was, you know, pretty much the, the first day where they broke down the, the separate attractions, yeah, one so by one, music. Like they and, did great moments with Mr. Lincoln, and they brought in uh, Jack Gladish, <laughs> who did the animation on uh, Lincoln's face and his hands um, and he was he was very old and it, it took a lot of uh, a lot of coaching the answers out of him but it was still it was still cool to see and then after that they did Magic Skyway so Bob Gurr came back out and he was hysterical once again going through how awesome. they did the entire design and structure and talked about the pre-show seeing all the different Ford cars no matter where you were in the world and um, talking about the music that was in there too it was incredible um, Carousel of Progress was good um, I don't remember who Oh, Marty Sklar was in on that one I don't remember much from the actual presentation. It was, it was good, and uh, it's a small world. Alice Davis was supposed to be there, but she was sick. But she was sick, so she couldn't come. So they had <laughs> Bill Sullivan step in, and he was uh, like a front of the line cast member who then went to become uh, kind of in management, and he was sent to the World's Fair to help run the operation in it and get it moving to the level that it could possibly. Uh, be exceeding the most and get the most capacity through there and then coming back and help implementing the same system into into Di- into Disneyland and so for uh, attractions cast member at one point in time that was one of the the coolest ones for me just yeah. to hear about those stories and he had an amazing mustache his mustache was epic I hated uh, it it was like this far sticking straight out but uh, then they also ended off the day with um Tomorrowland, a look into the movie and the production elements that went into recreating the World's Fair. That's the Brad Bird movie that's coming out is sometime next year. I think summer, maybe. You got George but, Clooney? George yeah, George Clooney's Clooney. going to be in it. Um, it's it, it's going to be a, a really good movie, I think. My opinion. Remains to be seen, but if George Clooney's in it, it's got a leg up. <laughs> and Brad Bird. Yeah. Oh, he's, I mean, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Oh, the first day ended at six. It was went from eight to six, uh, basically, or eight thirty to six, I believe it was. I would have enjoyed this. I would have. Um, it was. It was fascinating. It was really fascinating. And of course, you know, D twenty three has access to all the legends, all the archives, all that stuff, which certainly makes for a presentation, a presentation like this, uh, very, very worthwhile. When we visit Imagineering, they take us into the art room. And they show us certain things that are on the wall and things like that. Twice now I've stood next to file cabinets that say original 1964 World's Fair artwork. And all I keep thinking is, please let there be a power failure. And because this (laughs) is the anniversary... Imagineering is all decked out. That's right. Imagineering was all. And it was fun because as we walked by the glass cases with all the memorabilia, John and I went, oh, we have that. Oh, we have that. Oh, we have that. So it's great that they're celebrating this. It is. I'm so glad that this stuff was saved. I actually forgot. There was one more one that was in there. Uh, I believe Becky Klein did an overview of Disney attractions that were supposed to get there to the World's Fair and didn't. Coke was supposed to sponsor a tiki room type attraction yes. and it completely it completely fell apart. Coke didn't want to be involved with the attraction in that kind of uh, general sense. They also I believe didn't want great moments with Mr. Lincoln because they thought everyone was going to walk out of there crying right. for how good and moving it was. They felt like that wasn't um, suitable for their brand. They yeah. wanted their brand, the Coke brand to be very uplifting and cheerful and they felt that everyone crying because they were so moved by the beauty of the Lincoln attraction just didn't wasn't a good fit for what they wanted to do with yeah. their brand. So Again, this was a, a fascinating look at the 64 World's Fair and Walt Disney's part in it. And uh, I agree with Dustin that, you know, I 
I wasn't particularly focused on the 64 World's Fair. Wasn't, you know, wasn't something I went to like consciously. Uh, after this, I'm fascinated by it. Fascinated by it. Want to learn more, want to collect more, want to, I mean, just absolutely, absolutely got me so interested. There is a TWA poster from the 1964 World's Fair that I covet. <laughs> just want you to say. <laughs> um, so that was that was the Saturday, um, the Sunday event. Why don't we talk just briefly about what what was there Sunday? Uh, Sunday was focused on kind of the attraction rewind portion. So it started in the morning with uh, Becky Klein and Station Martin again, and they went over past Disney attractions. So they spent a lot of time talking about the Opera House before great moments with Mr. Lincoln came in and talked about how it was used to show off babes in Toyland, the entire set. And uh, then into the Mickey Mouse Club. And then Mickey Mouse Club with live live broadcasts happening in there. And then just went around to all the lands and talked about some of the stuff that wasn't there before, like Monsanto over in, um, in Tomorrowland with Adventures Through Inner Space in the house. So that was all really cool. But then from there, it went into Disney World. And that's where most of the focus was for the rest of the day. And the next one was Tony Baxter, uh, Charlie Ridgway, and Jason Grant talking about um, some of the attractions that are no longer here. Incredible presentation. I was going to say, that was another highlight. That presentation was excellent. Jason Grant was amazing. Jason Grant was fantastic. I feel like he should be a Disney stand-up comic. He's just really funny. So funny. funny. He's an Imagineer. um, And... Big fan, just big geeky fan, and that just comes out of him. Highly entertaining, and really did a great job. Especially you're sharing the stage with, uh, especially with Tony Baxter. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Ridgway was awesome as well. Um, Monsanto was the uh, sponsor of America the Beautiful when Disney World opened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now and Apro- again, apropos to nothing. <laughs> Yeah, so that was cool. They went. They showed some awesome pictures from like the contemporary being built, and then uh, twenty thousand leagues under the sea. But that was one of the ones we were most looking forward to, and it, it really paid off. I forgot at the start of the day before the first presentation, they actually showed us Magic Journeys. They restored the footage from the old attraction and showed it to everyone. Was that um, the Kodak? Yeah. It was the completely creepy 3D movie mm, where you yep. know the witch comes out and you know electrocutes your nose and it was bizarre. But well, but I just want to point out though that Tony Baxter also spent time talking about being a cast member oh. opening Walt Disney World, working on the construction sites, um, uh, you know, being a part of you know showing up at the Magic Kingdom when it was a dirt mound. breathtakingly amazing uh, presentation talking hearing him share his personal memories of different little things that happened and people he got to work with and I gotta tell you he is he's he's truly a legend he is truly a Disney legend Um, I was blown away by the stuff that he uh, that he shared especially the toast whenever yes that was yeah I'll admit I cried at that part but Um, but one of the things that excited me is when they got to talk about Horizons mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. from Epcot. <laughs> and they, I, it was just really cool. I just geeked out like in a big way because they really talked a lot about Horizons. But at the end, they uh, showed, they showed the, the footage, footage of all the closing scenes that you could select, um, which was really cool. My favorite attraction, hands down, ever at Walt Disney World, anywhere was horizons um so that was that was very very cool and again stuff that you know you get when you own the disney archives um they did have a lot of really cool stuff i mean we talk about the cost of d23 being kind of you know over the top but uh this event it was so fantastic and to be able to um experience those things from the past in the present once again you'll never be able to do it anywhere else and you know I will, it, it I will kind say, of justifies it i will say that going in again i worked to keep an open mind i said there's probably nothing these people are going to do that's going to make me feel like this was worth a thousand dollars and i gotta just i gotta say that i i i do not feel i wasted that money i do not feel i wasted that money I'm surprised that I'm saying that. Um, at $190, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, for general admission, Absolutely. this was a bargain. Yeah. Well, a bargain to we, hear these people, see these presentations, get a chance, especially the 64 World's Fair stuff. That alone, that day alone, was worth the 190 right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got a few nice things in our gift bags when we checked in. Gift bags were really cool. For general admission, uh, what did you guys get? Well, we got a magic band that was specially made for the event, and then we got this, you know, cute little pin. Um, that Tower of the Four Winds. Tower of the Four Winds pin that from the 64 Kevin's coveting over on the other side of the table. And then there was this neat little thing. This was um, cool. They gave each of us a stamp, and when you would log into the D23 site on you your phone... You didn't have to log in, just you had to go to the D23 site. pull up the site on your phone, and you put the stamp on the screen, and it unlocked all of this very exclusive information um, that... Video footage and things of that nature that also went along with the presentations that they were giving that day. And, you know, you can't get it. You can't access that without this little stamp thing. It's really cool. I've never seen it before. It was nice. Um, You know, they do make it feel like it's worthwhile because they do give you things that you can't get outside of the event. Now, for the top of the world, folks, um, we got everything that you got. Plus, we got... um, a Tower of the Four Winds, like, uh, you know, one of those etched crystal things. I don't know, like a paperweight. You're looking confused. Don't you remember that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <coughs> what, what else was in there? You said um, the Disney Infinity. Oh, oh, yes. The uh, Disney Infinity 2.0 Sorcerer Mickey, which is not out yet, which right there you, you had me at that <laughs> because I was very, very excited about that. Um, and then different H2O products. Some H2O products. It was a very good gift bag. Um, plus a nice D23, uh, Destination D Rewind uh, tote bag that everything came in. Which and, has also been on eBay. Yeah, that's on eBay. That's going for like 40 bucks, um, which I don't get. But overall, I felt this was absolutely worth the money, um, both for Top of the World and for... Uh, for general admission. But I want to ask the question about D23 in general. I'm still I'm still on, you know, I'm on the fence as to whether or not this club is worth joining. Um you know, if they start doing more stuff like that down here, yeah. I can see it making sense, but I again, if I'm in if I'm in Chicago, what is there for me with D23? There's not much. Uh, the whole culture of fandom has really... I mean, it's been going to bigger and bigger levels. And it's its almost getting to be a complete pop culture phenomenon at this point. I mean, you know, Star Trek conventions, people would go from all across the country to get to these conventions. Comic-Con, I mean, that's a rite of passage for for comic book fans and movie fans everywhere out there they'll travel to san diego for it so i know living in orlando we as disney fans and want to be d23 members want something to come here but at the same time everyone around the world for these other events will go to all these different places to do it so yeah i wish i wouldn't have to travel to go see an expo or to do a special event that they announce but at the same time in the kind of fandom world, you you have to accept that you might have to travel every now and then if this is really that important to you. Well, on the Dis Unplugged Facebook page, we asked uh, folks what their impressions of D23 are, and I'm going to read some of them. Ethan Allen, uh, who we got a chance to meet this weekend. Yeah, uh, I love nice his guy. furniture. Um, <laughs> here are my thoughts. I have many, and I have been a D23 member since day one. First, the bad. You do not get what you pay for. It's too high-priced for a simple magazine and access to purchase additional tickets to events. D23 is too focused on events in California. There are a few in Florida and almost non-existent anywhere else. When I lived in Seattle, it was nearly pointless for me to be a member. On the same note, there is nothing for people outside of the USA. How is it even a, a fan club for them? Uh, they try to make digital content behind a gated site only for members of benefit. Honestly, Disney should be making it all free without needing to be a member. Uh, D23 has changed a lot over the years. Uh, When it was first run, Jeffrey Epstein was the face of it with Stephen Clark running it. Jeffrey used to do uh, videos weekly about all the upcoming stuff, kind of like Diz Unplugged, and it was great. 
but they stopped doing that. All magazines used to come with collectible gifts, my favorite being patches, and they stopped doing that as well. They have slowly taken away things and made the club more event-driven. Calling it a fan club is incorrect. It is more a premium membership to Disney stuff, kind of like a premium annual pass. I have to agree with this. There are some fans in D23 and even cast who have a very elitist attitude. You see them at every event. It's a turnoff for me that Disney allows certain groups to feel more important than others, but that's life, I guess. Um, Too many of the events are just panels where you sit there and listen to people talk. I wish Disney would do some events where you get to see behind the scenes in the parks or something special besides just sitting there all day. Here are the good things. Some things they offer uh, that are free are movie previews. I have seen tons of movies with my family of four for free weeks before they came out. Million Dollar Arm and the Alexander and the Very Bad Day movie are two recent ones. Great benefit if you live near a theater that offers this. I didn't even know they did that. Uh, The events they put on are well done. Good speakers and presentations. Sometimes with a lot of background and upcoming previews that you don't normally get to see. But if you don't have a premium ticket, uh, a.k.a. the Sorcerer's Ticket at the D23 Expo, for example, then you miss out on a lot of really cool things. And the premium tickets can be expensive. I love the Mickeys of Glendale shopping and exclusive merchandise they sometimes have. The magazines are gorgeous and well done. As for my thoughts on Destination D, I was much, uh, much more bored than I was at the D23 Expo. At the Expo, there's a ton to see and do. Huge show floor with a lot of stuff going on. Uh, the main reason I am still a member is because I love Disney and I want to access all these special events. The downsides just aren't enough to stop me from wanting to go. Some of the events they have are really cool and offer a lot that you can't get in the parks. Plus, I can afford the membership, but it's definitely not a perfect fan club for me by any means. Well, I think that's kind of what I was going to say. When we talk about our attitude towards D23, this event absolutely was worthwhile. I think if I hold any resentment towards D23, it's the the message that, you know, when it first launched, it was... this is, would be the club for the true fan. And the idea that only the, the true fans are the ones with money is basically how it kind of comes <laughs> across. I, I resent that a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and you're paying you're paying for access to pay for more things. And, and that just seems kind of like a screwed up concept. Obviously, it's working for them and it's not going to stop because people are paying to ha- to, for the ability to pay for other things. But... Um, I, I think that's that's kind of the part that rubs me the wrong way. It's just that that underlying message that you know the true Disney fans are the ones that can afford to be it. Um, but you know, with that being said, this is this as well as uh, the D twenty three Expo last year um, have been the only events that I've been to. But they've been they've been really good. They've been really great events, and I've enjoyed both of them. Well, if you're will if you really are a fan, you're willing to pay what it takes to become a fan. If you're a collector. You're obviously not going to expect people to just give you stuff for free in order to continue that. You you always pay for everything. There's I can understand that anymore. in terms of like the events. Of course, you're going to pay for the events, but in, but when it comes to information, I don't feel like that should be something you have to pay for. You know, I mean, to learn about history and the things that happened. Why I, should you have to pay for for the stories? Yeah, I, I do understand that. One thing that really sticks out to me is. As a D23 member and going to these events, I genuinely feel like I'm in a room with people who actually understand why I live, love Disney. If I go into the Magic Kingdom or any of the other parks with people that are in the same mindset as me, we get the same thing out of it. However, <laughs> for the most part, you're walking around with a bunch of tourists who are just there for their family vacation. They're not there looking at the stuff that we look at and appreciate. And at this at these events, everyone in the room is there for the exact same reason to see these things and to hear these things. And so I know that if I'm getting excited, if I embarrass myself crying about a story, that all, there's other people in the room sitting there with those exact same emotions. That's stuff that just doesn't happen in the parks. That's stuff that happens at, in this club and stuff that happens on like the Adventures by Disney trip. But it doesn't happen just magic. at a D23 event. You'll get that on the Dis boards. Yeah, I cry when I walk into uh, Walt's One Man Dream at the studio. I don't know that I need anybody else around me to be crying as well. It's, well, it's kind of like... Ultimately, you're paying is, for the service a, of the event, and I can understand that concept. Well, it I just, develops a camaraderie. I, I absolutely understand what you're saying and, and feeling that, you know, I, I liked that feeling this weekend that I was around. I could just geek out. 
I could just geek out and not have to feel self-conscious about it because everybody around me is geeking out at the same time. Well, don't we feel that way at every Diz event that we have? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, But this, you know, it's different for me when it's not, you know, me organizing it. Um, or it's not me, you know, owning, you know, owning the company that organizes it. Um, just kind of going in there and being a fan and being with other fans, um, having these, you know, nothing that we're going to do is going to match. Uh, no Diz event is going to match having Marty Sklar and Tony Baxter and Bob Gurr talk about the 64 World's Fair and what their role in it was. Um, so having things like that, this was, a, you know, it was a great experience. Uh, I'm reading a lot of what people are posting on Facebook and, you know, the theme that emerges are the same complaints and uh, considerations that have been there for a while that, you know, if you don't live in Southern California, there's really nothing for you. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, especially for international folks, um, Ashley Fallis says, I'd absolutely love to be a member. But as someone living in the UK, the cons vastly outweigh the pros. A few people mentioned how back when D23 started, it was good for discounts and that magical feeling. Uh, But like Josh says on the show pretty much every Tuesday, that feeling seems to be fading. Um, Somebody from Australia was talking about how she's got to pay double because of the the cost of uh, the mailing. They charge extra because they have to mail to a magazine in Australia. So she basically pays double and really doesn't get access to the events or anything like that because she lives in Australia. and uh, she's a charter member, by the way. Um, I've been a uh, Vanita Jones. I've been a D23 member for only two years, so I don't have a frame of reference for how it's changed. I like the magazine and wish I could attend more events, but they are usually not conveniently located for me. I came from Texas to attend this event. Um, as a lover of almost all things Disney and a history buff, much of the attraction rewind was appealing. I enjoyed seeing the old photos and artifacts and hearing some great stories. However, the highlight of my trip was, oh, sorry, meeting me on Saturday morning. Um, (laughs) Met a lot of folks. I'm sorry, I didn't pre-read that. That wasn't intentional. I'm just kind of going through scanning these. Um, But we did meet a lot of folks, a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers um, at the event. I, I just wanted to ask a question in general because maybe I have some ignorance on this and maybe you guys who were at the expo last year would know the answer of this. For me, the issue is less of a geography thing. Um, it's it's more about what do they have for fans of Walt Disney World versus Disneyland. At the expo, was there more focus on the Disneyland attractions than the Disney World attractions? Whether it's hosted in Los Angeles or hosted in Orlando, that doesn't matter to me. The appeal of it, I'm a Disney World fan. What is there for me? Uh, The past expo in 2013 wasn't focused on really attractions, more or less. It was focused on Imagineering, because Imagineering just celebrated an anniversary. So... It didn't. It focused on a lot of both. So uh, Tony Baxter was there, and it did an attraction rewind to Journey into Imagination, the original, showing video clips and uh, recreations of that. So they had that, and then um, they had Jason Sorrell there talking about a lot of Disney World stuff, since he's one of the Imagineers located in Florida, actually. So there was a decent balance. I can't speak for the other years because yeah. I never went, but. I would say it was fifty-fifty. So, other than other than the, just the geographic problem, you feel like it's fair to Walt Disney World. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was curious about. <laughs> the, uh, you know, overall for me, I I will I'll, I'll say that while I liked Destination D, and I am looking forward to the Expo next year. I plan on being out there for the Expo. Um, as of right <laughs> now, I don't think. The D23 membership itself is worth it. Um, Unless you are in Southern California, I don't think that's changed. And until it does, I think they've got a problem on their hands. And they've got to figure out something of value to give people that don't live in Florida, uh, don't live in California, who want to join this, something to make it worthwhile. And you've got to do better than a magazine. And I don't know what that is. I'm hoping that with uh, Adam Sanderson coming in to run D23, that maybe he has some ideas and he can come up with something. Um, but decide for yourself. Head out to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash disunplugged, and check out the 
list of uh, or, or all the comments that people have made mm-hmm. about D23 and what they think of it, both pros and cons. Uh, although I'm seeing mostly cons here. I'm not seeing yeah. an awful lot of pro. Um, but, you know, I will say, though, that for these events, it was, abso- it was absolutely worth me getting a membership. It was absolutely <laughs> worth me spending the money I spent to go to it. Um, I can't say that I walked away feeling ripped off. In fact, I walked away feeling like I got my money's worth. And so at the end of the day, I can't say much more for it than that, that I would absolutely do this again. And I would like to see them do it more. I would like to see them do it. You know what? Do one of these in New York City. Do one of these in Chicago. Do one of these in Seattle. Do one of these in Dallas. If you want to do a road show, do these weekends. You're going to make a ton of money. You're going to get a ton of subscribers because now something tangible is coming to their city. Something that they can go and do and have this experience without necessarily... Obviously, you can't do it in every town and city across the country. So you know what? Pick the big, the big hubs. Everybody can get to a big hub um, with less effort than it would take them to get to Anaheim or Orlando, uh, depending on where they live. So, I mean, maybe that's something they could look at doing. Um, I don't think Marty and Bob and Tony have much going on right now. They're, t- they're retired. <laughs> so I think, you know, you're going to pay them. They're going to be happy to show up. Um, but you know what? I, I think if they don't start reaching out to fans in other areas and start respecting that there are fans in other places other than Southern California, they've got to get rid of that Disneyland elitist bullcrap that that this club has been ripe with from the beginning. Yeah. Um, that if you, you're really just you're not a real Disney fan if you don't live in Southern California. If you're not about Disneyland, then you're not a real fan. So <laughs> we'll see, but. Interested to hear more of what you think? Head out to Facebook, let us know. And that is going to do it for our episode this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back with you again next time with another edition of the Diz Unplugged. Thanks for being with us, everyone. And remember, stay out of the damn lakes. Bye.